Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. We always like to start off over here by saying, you know, we know who you are, but our audience may be new to you. So if you were to give the bio that, you know, doesn't show up on the back of a book, uh, wouldn't be on your website, publicist doesn't have, maybe your school doesn't even have. Uh, <laughs> My school would, definitely doesn't have. <laughs> who would you say you are? Oh, let's see. Um, that's an interesting question. I'm a granny's girl, uh, forever and ever east sider. Uh, of Detroit, I should say. I should be specific. I buy out of nobody else has. If Toni Morrison and Trina had a love child, yes. I'm it. That's, <laughs> that's the most important thing y'all need to know about me. <laughs> well, so where does writing come from for you then? Where's the where's, where's that early catalyst that made you pick up a pen? Like how old were you the first time you kind of scratched something down and were like, ooh, I wrote something? Oh, wow. I am not sure. I feel like all kids wrote short stories at some point. And in hindsight, they were not very good. But in my mind at the time, they're they're excellent. They're full of they're, drama. They're brilliant. Um, <laughs> they were great short stories. Um, <laughs> in <middle school. laughs> I, rap was probably my catalyst. It's first place I learned like imagery and metaphor and voice. And I love the girlies. Like they're my they're my favorite. So I'm really enjoying the resurgence of women rappers right now. Yeah. And so every time I do a cover letter, I have to shout out, like, <laughs> you know, you shout out the literary lineage, of course, but I also did have to shout out Luka and Madrina and Club Italy, I guess, is like a predecessor. So, yeah. But what, a, I mean, but it's, it's, I mean, how true is that, though? The, the reality is that you had forebears who were very open about who they were, what they wanted, and what they were going to do, yeah. were not afraid to say anything. Um, and then we kind of had silence for a little while. But it is, those are, I mean, what great people to shout out on everything. Like, <laughs> shout, out yeah. the writer, shout out the writers that truly made you who you are. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. then I came to poetry later and it was like, oh, this is, this is lovely. See, so, so there's a question though. Was, was that work not poetry? Did you come to poetry with them as well? You like the audio and sonic quality, but there is writing. I mean. Yeah, of course. Get, I always argue with their We get into there. like the, you know, is rap poetry is, you know, is, is poetry rap I mean, but when you say you got to poetry kind of later, what was for you then the difference? Mm, that's fair. Um, and I think is is more like a semantics question. So I do think oh, that is poetry. As an so then, <laughs> Right, right. We know. We know the vibes. <laughs> um, so they're really what I what I mean to say is that maybe the written word or, you know, what what academia would classify yeah, yeah. as more formal poetry is what I came to. Um in high school. Who were you but finding in high school that you fell in love with then? Oh, Audrey Lord uh, was was the first hard 
phase. I got really lucky in that I was a youth writer with Inside Out, which is a um, after school program in Detroit that had some of the best poets as like instructors. So Erica Foreman was one of my first teachers. Matthew oh. Oseman was one of my first teachers. Francine Harris, <laughs> Francine J. Harris. You know what I'm saying? So All right. <laughs> I was kind of spoiled. I was really lucky. Right, you know. yeah, yeah, Erica Foreman as an early as an early like teacher of poetics is uh, that's uh, wow. That's that's an overwhelming start. <laughs> right? <laughs> I got to be on my A game. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that's awesome. Well, what I mean, what do you think as a, as a like a youth poet then what were the kind of the lessons that you took away from them? I think more than anything they taught me to take myself as a professional. I think Erica has always been very much about community and about you know, if y'all are going to make it make it together and by it like not the professional side of things, but it being a lifelong love for craft. And I think that those are the things we took away like the most is that I love what language can do. I love the effect that words have on people. I love my people. I think my poems always have someone else that I love in them because that is the way that I learned best to express, you know, whatever complicated layers and wants are involved in community and in writing. So I think more than any like craft elements because I probably to be honest wasn't paying enough attention back then <laughs> I wish I had <laughs> I wish I could go back and <laughs> have kept those notes but I think they're how to be good people how to be good literary citizens yeah. is, is the bigger thing that that I walked away with and did they do you feel like you developed a process of writing kind of through through those pieces or kind of how how is your process developed you know, from your formative years to now, who are you as someone who sits down to write something or do you, uh, as your phone, your best friend, when it comes to tossing notes in there, how do you, how do you sit down to write and to write your work? Um, It shifts. I have phases. I had a phone notebook phase, um, but, but lately the last few years has been writing in a journal first because mm. um, I could do so many more cross outs and things. And so by the time it gets to a Google doc, it's, it's a draft. Okay. Um, very rarely at this point do I have drafts that don't make it into, you know, a more formal process that make it to a Google Doc. If I find myself bored with it or like I don't return to it on the page, then it's likely not going to be something that I'm super invested in. I was going to ask, how do, you, how do you know what ends up going? That's kind of a nice, that's a different transition I don't hear a lot is that if it doesn't make it to a Google Doc. It's not going to make it beyond that. I like, I like that. It's not going to be a thing. Well, Google, Doc, like it, Google Docs are scary for writers. We can see all, I mean, you know, the version history in there is a, is a frightening thing to see every change you make inside a, inside a document. That's like, come I don't look. <laughs> I don't look at version histories. They don't even exist to me. What a, what a great, uh, eventually, eventually someone should do some type of like erasure type poetry with that. We're looking back at just the general, like the, a book of, a book of changes of Google doc drafts. You know, what's funny. My best friend, Ajane Dawkins looks at version histories all the time. And she like jokes and tells people that she learned how to edit looking at my version doc history. And I'm like, I'd never look at that thing. You can see that. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yes. Like, oh. But I mean, it is, I, I definitely see that it's a solid editing tool to see where something started to where something, where something you know eventually came to where that end point is so i mean when you are sitting down to to actually craft something then in a mm-hmm. journal uh, how many of these journals do you have that will never see the light of day Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> if it happened before like 2019 don't even look at that thing <laughs> um, 
a lot. I try to keep them just because I I don't have a formal journaling process. Right, but right, when right. I look back at like old poem drafts, I'm like, oh, this is where I was in life. This is who I was in love with. Yikes. Um, <laughs> you know, this is who I was studying or this is what I was thinking about. So I, I have them back pretty, pretty far, pretty dead. Those are, those are the journals you keep for mortified episodes or... Uh... <laughs> We, Those are the journals that I'm like, y'all, when I pass, don't let nobody see this. <laughs> Lock we them went up. Back, my wife and I went back and looked. I have all of my journals from like eighth grade up. And we found we found the era of like my high school girlfriend uh, responding Ooh. inside my my journals. Oh, the uh, yeah, it was it was what a gift days and days of just what the fuck and just <laughs> laughter on end. Oh man! Everything seems so intense in eighth grade. I'm like, girl, what were you thinking? It really does. Eighth grade through high school is so overwhelming. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, let's talk a little bit about muzzle. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, as an editor in chief, I can see you smiling. I wish the people in podcast and I could see the smile. Oh. So what excites you about Muzzle? Like where, where as editor in chief, do you see Muzzle going? What do you love about it? Uh, let's gush about a magazine for a minute. Oh, that's so cute. Um, I, as I am in the throes of finishing up a submission period, um, <laughs> I think what I love most is, is having the opportunity to champion work, especially when it's like new work, right? If it's somebody who I'm like, oh, I haven't, you know, like this is this emerging person whose work I love and I get to make sure that the world sees it in some way. I think that's the most gratifying thing. Um, I think something that I've enjoyed is seeing people who I'm like, oh, I've seen their name before they've submitted before in this packet. Mm -hmm. This packet is it. Like I get joy from being able to send out that email. And then I think little things like seeing people develop like a literary lineage looking at the journal like oh I love this person's work and it made me go and like buy their book. And so now I'm excited to submit to you. I'm like, oh wow, that's I think that's really cool. That's awesome. Was there a poet that made you want to start it? Like, was there somebody who said, okay, I have to publish this? Or was it something that was kind of working for a while and then and then that came around? What do you mean in terms of mother? I guess origin stories. So for like for like me, the poetry question started because a student of mine asked me to prove the relevance of poetry in the 21st century. Uh, so interesting. Like, right. So we, you know, we turned it into a Twitter feed um, where we sent out uh we sent out of the question um you know is poetry uh, is poetry relevant in the 21st century give your 180 because at that point or 140 or whatever it was back then i remember those days um, <laughs> but uh you know then at at some point you know poetry question got to the point where i was like i want to publish somebody's work um mm -hmm. so we moved from doing reviews to you know actually putting out books and working on other projects so was there, you know, was there a poet that you or a writer that you really wanted to publish that kind of forced your hand to start the magazine? Oh, okay. So I get what you're asking. So hey. I didn't start Muzzle. Um, okay. I got really lucky and I inherited Muzzle. Oh, beautiful. So Stevie Edwards is oh, actually the founder of Muzzle. Amazing, amazing, amazing writer, amazing person. And in I was a reader for Muzzle first. And I think I had been reading for Muzzle maybe for about two years. Um, and in 2020, Stevie stepped down and then at that point passed it to myself and Rena Shirali. And we were co-editors in chief for a little bit. And then Rena had to step away for some personal obligations. And then there was me. <laughs> um, 
And so I think if I can talk about that process, I think that I was really nervous, but also really excited. (laughs) Um, You know, Stevie kind of opened it up um, in terms of saying, hey, I think you would be a really good fit for this. Let me know if this is something you'd be interested in. And I was excited for the same things that like I get to do now, which is really Mm -hmm. cool, which is being wanting to see more work in the world, um, particularly work from marginalized folks, from folks whose voices might not otherwise be pushed to the forefront as often. So I think having the opportunity to do that was really important to me. What's been your favorite thing so far? Has there been one like standout moment for you as editor that's just been like cooler than anything else? Not necessarily, but I think things even like realizing that I'm editor in chief of a magazine, like sometimes people will tweet things and it'll be like, oh, editors, you can do such and such. And I'll be like, well, that's really cool. And I'll bookmark it. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, you're an editor. So like, you, you really can, can do such and such. Or nominating people for things like Bested in Ed and then being like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Like stuff like that is like. Have, have you finished your Best of the Net nominations? <laughs> no, I have not finished my Best of the Net oh, nominations. Not yet, but I'm going to, I swear. I'm having hey, it on time. But by the, by the time this comes out, we can both officially say that by the time this episode is released, we will have finished our Best of the Net nominations and you will all see them online. So go find them. Listen, I know that it's the time because somebody who's always on time and on top of it will like start tweeting out their best in the net and I'll be like oh cool let me go read these poems and then I'm like shit right. <laughs> bitch you're an editor like you too have to go do this <laughs> you mean it's not just post and, and walk away or publish and walk away you actually right? have to, there's a reason we publish these it's because we want people to see them damn it <laughs> yeah so I gotta get myself together but but that I think has been one of my favorite parts of it nice well and then a little bit about versus. I mean, what is your kind of your setup? Do you how much selection choice do you have, and who's you know who's represented on there? Uh, is it kind of your way to geek out over people, or is you know what's the what's the process over there? Um, me and Ajanae are like really kind of. Uh, I don't want to say learning as we go along because that's not true. Like we definitely had a vision oh, for it, but we have so much possibility that. We're kind of trying to lean into that. So this first season, we kind of wanted to go with like a range of intergenerational folks because that's really important to us. I think for our first season, we want our values to be clear Hmm. in terms of valuing literary citizenship, in terms of valuing intergenerational conversations, um, in terms of valuing poets who are like, you know, heavy into academia and then poets who are like heavy into slam, right? Like... It's so kind of we wanted the range of us conversation. I always love the uh, like the people who went through their MFAs and are diehard. We are academic page poets. We're doing this stuff. And then it's such a different fun world to see some of those poets also who came from the slam world mm-hmm. through the MFA programs as mm-hmm. well. And now you have to have the conversation of was it worth it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, did it hinder or or forward the process? And we're of the latter that we both came up in SLAM and then did MFAs. So <laughs> we kind of know the vibes on both sides of the fence. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you, well, then I'll put that question to you. Do you think that the MFA, your MFA program helped your poetry or did it? I find that some people have said that being inside an MFA program um, kind of, pushes them into a box for a little while and it takes mm-hmm. a while to get out of that uh, headspace. And then I've talked to other people who truly learned, you know, or love the art of learning form and things like that and could use that, but never quite fit within that scope. Got it. Um, I think 
the the program that I chose and the mentors that I had have a lot to do with this answer. Um, because I do know that a lot of people had different experiences. So I feel really lucky in that regard. But I think my experience was really positive. Um, I I should also be transparent and say I got an MFA because I want to move out of K-12 at some point. <laughs> so it was a, you know, an employment thinking about like future possibilities. Right move for me to get an MFA. I was not of the mind that you need an MFA to be a writer because I don't think that that's true. So I should, I should state that for most. Yeah, so then for me to go. I want to, everybody to go back to the 10 year old them and then tell them they can't be a writer. Do you know what I'm saying? So I was like, that really doesn't, that's not why I got an MFA. So I'm not a person who believes that the MFA is, is necessary for you to be a writer. That is the end all be all. Um, but with that said, I had really amazing, amazing mentors. And I think each semester taught me something different. Um, I had Philip B. Williams my first semester, who was like a formalist genius, right? And I think he taught me that I can, that I can do pretty much anything. I think he threw a lot of like hard prompts at me, but it, it forced me to do new things. It forced me out of my comfort zone. Um, Angel Nafis taught me very much how to lean into like my trust for myself. You're um, listening imagery. to the writers that have come through your, your life. Listen, Diana Quay Wynn taught me how to play. <laughs> Paige Lewis um, taught me to experiment in like a very different way. So I think I learned such valuable skills from them that I, yeah, I yeah. would 10 times over do it again, right? But I also think that what they taught me the most and something that really was helpful for me is that I went into my program knowing who I was as a writer and I went into my program knowing who I was as a person mm -hmm. and I went into my program knowing what I wanted to get out of my program. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So I wasn't, it is, it's kind of hard to force somebody into a box <laughs> if they already know that they're not in that box. Absolutely. And so that kind of helped for me. So the yeah. people who I had helped me lean more into who I was versus trying to make me who they wanted me to be. Hmm. I like that. That's I, I think that's that's a really strong answer about what an MFA program can do for somebody. It's not there to just teach skills and make you a, a writer, quote unquote. Yeah, because <laughs> you're already a writer, right? You, 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 I hope that you went into an MFA program knowing that you are at least wanting to do something with writing. If not, man, that's a, you know, you know, it's a hard. It's <laughs> a hard transition. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we kind of head toward the end here. Um, who are those writers right now? Uh, I mean, you've given quite a, seriously, the list of people that have been in your life for, for mentors is amazing. Um, but who are those people right now that you would want to shout out that are those up and comers or that you're, you know, your peers or the people that you're reading right now who just have you going every day and making you want to do so many. Oh my God. It's such an exhaustive list. Okay. Don't get me in trouble because I don't want to forget nobody. And end up, uh... All right. Our, our, our disclaimer <laughs> here. We know that there are poets that the will be Listen, y'all, I got put on the spot, okay? Um, Ariel Marie, um, Amani Davis, I.S. Jones, um, Ajani Dawkins, of course, uh, Willie Kennard Third is a writer who I am in love with his work. He has a book and coming just, out with Grey Wolf. Not just a writer, but... Uh, I'm sorry, not Grey Wolf. That is a fifth. It's coming out with Alex James. No, um, but, but we should also say that Willie Kennard Third is not just a writer. That they, Listen... There. Is it writer, curator? Well, look at our third day, my website, and it's uh -huh. a banking listing. Listen. If anybody wants to see their work, they might want to head over to uh, to Brittany Rogers' website. It's, it's bomb. If I must say so myself, Willie did that. There are some, uh, Lord, there are so many emerging poets. And then in terms of poets whose work, I find myself constantly returning to Rachel Isaac Griffiths, for sure. Aristotle Shermai. 
watch when I get off this call, it's going to be 50 million more people <laughs> popping in my head. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> but but off top, that's that's who I can think about right now. Oh, Courtney, um, Courtney Taylor's work just came out. That's whose work just came out with Grey Wolf, and I'm reading that right now. So that's amazing. Well, well, this is well already have gone past. She is she's coming up soon on uh, on TVQ twenty. So really, yes, yeah. No, Courtney Faye Taylor is going to be a, a very very big name. That's a that's a good book coming out. It's, you heard me. Oh yes. Well, <laughs> I'm no, trying not to spill on the galley, but it's, it's no, very. Good. It's amazing, and the people you expels my name. Is Jones this year was that was one of my top books for this last year. What a great great piece of work, like pieces. Very gorgeous work. Yes. Awesome. And then most importantly, what about you? What is out there for you and where can we find you? Ooh, yikes. Um, <laughs> I am sending out. Mo- Monday through Friday, you can find me in a, cl- in a classroom. From- <laughs> Don't tell nobody that. <laughs> um, uh, you can find me. I'm skating rink in Detroit. Um, you can always pull up there. I am sending out a manuscript. So fingers crossed that there'll be news at some point. Um, I have an essay forthcoming with Oprah Daily in a few weeks. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Um, you can find me on my website, which is www.brittanyrogers.org. I think. <laughs> um, but if you go to my Twitter, Brittany E. Roger underscore, you'll, all of those things are linked. Fantastic. I am so excited for what's coming out and let's hope that manuscript gets picked up and we get you into the world in the next couple of years for a larger piece of writing. Uh, we can always obviously check you out on Verses. Oh yeah, so, Verses podcast. You know, there's, there's this little, <laughs> there's this little thing, <laughs> you know, there's this little podcast. It's because the season hasn't years. started airing yet and it's still very surreal. I'm like, wow, this is really my job. <laughs> <laughs> I really get to interview poets with my best friend, like the dream. So this is... Ah, oh, that's so exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. And thank you so much for hanging out on TPQ20 today. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.